following is a message at Living Savior Church in Asheville and Hendersonville, North Carolina. To learn more, go to lsavior.org. This is only a test, says the teacher to the little kids who think that their lives are going to change and the trajectory of their futures will be altered depending on how they take that, that math quiz, the math test. No, it's only a test she says, to calm their nerves. It's only a test, says everyone. They, everyone hears over the loudspeakers because uh, the sirens are going off and the alarm is sounding. It's just a test so that everyone knows how to get out of the building in case of a fire when it's not a test. This is only a test, says the administration when they call everyone into the conference room and all of the employees see this little packet of paper. It's only a test. It's only a test. There's something about tests that stress people out. And I might even ask you, do you like to take tests? Well, maybe it kind of depends. It kind of depends on if it's an area of study that you like, something that you're after. Maybe you're trying to get some, some new uh, credits, some new initials next to your name, a, a new standard, or maybe even it's, a, it's an area of study that you just like and it's a hobby and you get a test like that. That's not only something that you might look forward to and be positive towards, it's, it might be something that you really want to do. Those kinds of tests, yes. But there's a big difference between taking a test that you're looking forward to, a test that's going to give you something that you're after, and being tested by someone in a way that you don't prefer. Testing, same word, totally different context. I would probably say that you don't like those kinds of tests, especially when somebody is testing you to use that information against you. And if I still haven't convinced you, how about I prove it to you in this testing that you're about to go through right now? You only have three seconds to answer all of these questions. Are you ready? Are you a Christian? Well, how many books are in the Bible? One, two, three. How many promises in the Old Testament refer to your Savior Jesus if you say that you're a Christian? Do you know that number? Which of those promises is your favorite and why? Three seconds, two seconds, one. And now, two more questions. I promise only two more questions. What is the book, chapter, and verse of that famous promise of yours about your Savior that you claim to have as a Christian? Three, two. And I thought you said you were a Christian and did you get all those questions right? And if you didn't get all those questions right, what does that say about your love for your Savior Jesus? Oh, what a dastardly test that was, or testing that I did. Again, not, not, none of that's real. None of that, that was just an exercise to demonstrate what you probably already knew. That taking a test that's gonna give you something, it's gonna strengthen you, something that you're after, that's one thing. Being tested so that that information can in a dastardly way be used against you, nobody likes that. Nobody likes that, but although that's kind of just a, a silly trick that I played at the beginning of a sermon, we know that that's exactly what the devil is after and that is part of his arsenal, not just against our Savior Jesus, as we just heard, but against us. What you and I have to see today is that not just in some moments of life, but all of life. In fact, all of life has been commonly referred to as a series of tests. But these tests are not just exercises that we've signed up for that make us actually stronger and that we're okay with. No, there are dastardly attempts of giving us questions, traps, temptations, so that we would fall and so that that information that the devil gets would be used against us. 
But what you and I have to see more than anything is not just that our life is one series of tests, but that we have one in our place who overcomes those tests and even shows us what these tests are all about. My dear friends, I'd like you to have that lesson open for Matthew chapter 4. And as you see in that gospel reading, our Savior gives us the open book test. He doesn't just tell us exactly where to turn, book, chapter, and verse. He shows us how he gives us all the answers in this open book for us, for our lives, and for our salvation. Matthew chapter 4. Now, what happened right before Matthew 4 when Jesus is in the wilderness, as he was baptized. And you might remember that picture where heaven was opened, and as one commentator put it, at Jesus' baptism, heaven opened. After Jesus' baptism, hell opened. See, I kind of, after hearing that comment, and it's quite profound, I kind of have never pictured it this way before, but do you think the devil was in the nosebleeds at Jesus' baptism? Kind of there, off to the side, way up on a hill, do you think he was there watching? As heaven opened and the Spirit descended in the form of a dove and then this bellowing voice from the Father said, this is my son. And you think the devil was ready and waiting? Filing that one away so that he can use that as one of the tests and we will see that in a little bit. As Jesus was baptized, he launches onto the scene in his public ministry to preach and to teach and to perform miracles to prove that he is who God sent him to be, the Messiah, the, the Christ, the anointed one sent from God to serve and to save us all. But the devil and all the evil from hell itself opens up because they are not going to have it. Not, not without a fight. Yes, a fight even to the death. That's what this path of Lent is all about. And so, as Jesus is led into the wilderness, what do we see as the devil employs all of these tests? You see that word temptation or testing, depending on which translation you're looking at, what that word actually means is to employ a test, a dastardly temptation, in order to use that information to trap or to kill or to hurt. So all of these tests, what do we see? Well, first of all, notice what goes on with our Savior. It is after Jesus had been what? And for how long? Had been fasting for 40 days and for 40 nights. It's not until after all of that that the devil shows up. What does this teach you about that old evil foe, that ancient enemy known as the devil? Does he wait for you to be in the sanctuary, surrounded by Christian loved ones and respected believers who will help you and strengthen you? Does he wait until you finally are kind of rejuvenated and you're surrounded by your Christian mentors or people that you respect in the faith? Does he wait until you feel rejuvenated and you right after you've read up on some of your devotional reading in Scripture and then he's going to attack you? Does he wait until your spiritual muscles are, are all warmed up and stretched out? No. He waits until you're tired and hungry, and famished, and lonely. The devil knows all too well. He's referred to as a lion after all, isn't he? First Peter 5, 7, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You've seen enough National Geographic to know that if a lion is going to go after, let's say, some zebras, he's not going to go after the fastest, strongest, biggest one when there's the little baby or the sickly one, or the injured one that's barely trying to keep up. That's an easy meal. And is the devil all that different as he waits when you're, when you're lonely, when you're afraid, when you're tired, when you're hungering for maybe some of the wrong things, when there's nobody else around, 
And when the thoughts start to flutter in and make their nest there, that, that's when the devil knows that it's a whole lot easier to test you. And what does he test you with? He tests you with the things that already exist in a sinful heart and mind. Whether it's hungering for the things that you might already have but going about them in the wrong way. Lusting for the things that God has not provided nor does he prohibit. Pursuing the things that God says no towards but you want to say yes to. When you're lonely, when you're afraid, he does not play nice. He plays with all of his evil tricks in order to test you and this is the fight of your life. Yes, it's the fight of your soul. You learn that about the devil. He doesn't play fair or nice. And Jesus knows that too because as the devil comes to Jesus in this moment, when it seems to be that he is at his weakest, longest, loneliest time after 40 days and 40 nights, the devil says, here, it's just, it's just bread, turning rocks into bread. And that might seem like that's very small potatoes, not to mix analogies, but consider what's going on here. Jesus is praying and fasting. This is a spiritual exercise as he prepares to launch into his public ministry. So this isn't just, we'll have a snack. This is stop doing this spiritual practice so that you can get some creature comforts and go about it in an easy way. That's what the devil is after. And the devil does the same thing for you and me. When we know that our Father has in store for us a path that might at times be arduous and it might require some discipline, it's a whole lot easier to just shirk those spiritual responsibilities, to go about things our own way and to just find some quick fixes that the world seems to provide. But Jesus is very good. What are the first words out of his mouth? It is written. It is written. He could just say whatever he wants to say and just say no, and that would be overcoming temptation. But he sets the standard, yes, the template, of opening the book itself and saying it is written. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Jesus is not saying that the next time you're hungry, just open God's word instead and start reading and your hunger will go away. That's not the point. What he is saying is when all of the world and the devil itself is trying to test you to rely on the quick fixes to satisfy whatever you're hungering for, remember, you will always be hungry again. And the one thing you need the most is an answer to that test and that is God's word and God's word alone. So there's the answer. Oh, but the devil's not a one-trick pony, is he? He's not done. He's just getting warmed up. So what's the next one? If you are the son of God, oh, do you think the devil was at Jesus' baptism? Again, I had never thought about it until I heard that quote. Taking what the last words that Jesus just heard from his father, if you are the son of God, when the father was saying, you are the son, this is my son whom I love, well, the devil says, if you are the son of God, he tests his identity. Well, since you are, then really you should be able to kind of carry that out. It should look a certain way. You could even hop off of a cliff and angels will comfort you and take care of you. If you really are the son of God, your life should then look this way and go this way and it shouldn't go that way and it should look that way. And if you think that that is very apples and oranges to your life, namely that the temptation that the devil is using with Jesus is really nothing like what you see in your own life. Think again. What happened? What happened here? may not have been exactly this spot, although for some of you it was. But when you were baptized, what did, what did God say over you? That you are his own son. You are his own daughter. 
he put his name on you and brought you into his family. And so since that's what God says about you, well then shouldn't your life look a little bit different than some of the challenges you are facing? I mean, if you really are a child of God, then really should you be going through some of the adversity that you're facing? Should you be facing some of the struggles that you are experiencing? I mean, when sickness and disease and grief and guilt and shame and fear and worry, and, and th those are just the things that go on on the inside, then you think of the world where there's so much evil and tragedy and harassment and antagonism against you as a believer and even just you as an individual. If you are a child of God, then shouldn't it go a certain way? The devil is showing us one of the great tricks in his playbook that he is using not just against Jesus, but against every single one of us. And, and when in those moments you find yourself as a child of God wondering what God is up to, shouldn't he just employ his angels and his power? And shouldn't it go just a whole lot differently? Those are questions that don't just come from suggestions from the evil one themselves. They come from the skeptic that loves to, to creep into these ears and this mind and those ears and those minds too to get us to try and question what God is really up to when we who are his children should be experiencing something altogether different. So what does Jesus have to say to that? It is written. It is written. Make no mistake, the devil does know how to use God's word because he uses this as part of his trick, doesn't he? I don't think it's a stretch to say that the devil knows God's word better than you and me. He knows how to use it and to twist it to try and get us all the more to even become frustrated with or questioning towards our Father in heaven. But Jesus' answer is not in spite of God's word or away from it, but the proper use of God's word as he says, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. We do not put God to the test with our fears, our skepticism, our questioning. We still remain his children and trust in his promises despite what we can see. The devil's not done. He's got more up his sleeve. So he leads Jesus to this high spot and says this could be a whole lot easier. Now, we might know that he's lying. He's not in control of the world except the devil is the prince of this world, Scripture says. And so he is in control in a lot of ways of the evil that we see around us. I mean, how long does it take you to listen to the news before you start saying to yourself, what is wrong with this world? What is wrong with this place? And it sometimes shocks you even. And you've seen and experienced enough, but you're like, what in the world is going on here? Bad news after bad news after bad news and evil and corruption all over the world. And yes, not even in our own country and in our own town, we see it everywhere. Well, who do you think is behind this? Of course we know. And so to get control over a world that was lost in sin from the garden, as we heard earlier, it could go a whole lot easier, Jesus, if, if, if you just bowed down. All of this cross and suffering stuff, all of this persecution you were about to face, it can all go a whole lot easier if you go about it this way. That's what the devil's saying. You think that's not a temptation for Jesus? You think that's not a temptation for you? When the world would pr promise and even try to provide all of the pleasures that you wanted, all you got to do is just go about it just a little bit differently than the way that God has prescribed for your life. When the world promises you wealth and what you can do with that wealth and power, when the world promises you pleasure and what you'll get through all of that pleasure and from it, it seems like it's just a couple steps 
Just a couple quick fixes, and we can even ask for forgiveness later, but if we do these things, then we get those results that the world promises. I remember talking to a man several years ago, a very successful businessman, who in a moment of honest confession said this to me. He said, so many of the worst dealings that I ever did in my successful business career started off with just one failed step where I convinced myself that it would only be one step. Only one. And then he went on to say, but after that one step, everything that was promised turned into, of course, more failed steps too, and I should have known better. He was confessing, confessing the ways that he had done misdealings or should have gone about his own business dealings in a better way. Regardless of the success that he garnered from, from those business dealings, it didn't leave him feeling more fulfilled in the end, but actually ashamed of the mistakes that he made. And it all happened because it was one, one fateful promise, one fateful slip-up of the test that the world is going to give you this if you just do that. And Jesus can see right through it as he orientates not only his own heart but all of our lives under our God in this way. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only, no matter what it looks like, no matter how hard it is to see. So do you think you'd pass those kinds of tests? that the devil employs? If you're anything like me, you can see not only these tests, but you already know the other tests that you see in your life and the ways that the devil doesn't just show you, hey, here's how you can get better, but he uses that information against you so that with every every tiny little slip up, he can say to you, so you really think you are a child of God. So you really think you do belong in God's kingdom. So you really do think of yourself as one of God's holy children and an heir of eternal life? You really do, do you? And he uses that information against you. And what is your answer to those tests? Not just on paper, but the tests that are, that are all of life. Your answer is seen in what your Savior provides. Because Jesus does not just give you God's word so that you have now a couple go-to passages. You do have that, by the way. But that's not what you see here primarily. He doesn't just give you this so that you can have the book open and say, oh, devil, I got chapter, book, chapter, and verse, and now you got to go away. You do get that, by the way. You do get that from God's word. When he tempts you, when he tries to, to trap you, you do have God's word and you do have it so you can dig into it to answer every single one of the devil's temptations. Yes, you do. But what you have is something far greater. It is not only the answer in those moments of temptation and testing, but it is also the answer when you fail. Jesus is not just an example, whereby if you follow this example, you can improve your life. He is your savior and your friend. Every single step we see in Matthew 4 and in all of Jesus' life covers over every misstep in our own lives. Every act of obedience in the life of our Savior covers over every single trap into which we fell in our disobedience so that when God looks at you, he is not waiting for you to better yourself and improve your behavior. He sees the perfect life of his son covering over you so that you, you are someone who belongs to your father in heaven, not on account of what you have failed to do, but on on account of everything that your God and Savior Jesus has done for you. That's what makes him the Savior, and that's what makes you God's child by faith. 
This past winter, there's still some high school basketball going on. It's the state tournaments, statewide. This past winter, I found myself at several different games. And it's interesting to see how people behave at basketball games. I don't know if you knew this. Some people lose their ever-loving minds. All they have to do is just go to a basketball game and they become Mr. Hyde. Especially high school fan sections. I don't know if you've ever watched a high school game where there's a lot of students. You know, high school students, their brains aren't fully developed yet and sometimes they prove that. It's a true fact. So there's these high school stands and they're winning. They're about to win the game. And all of a sudden, from the other side, one of the players does this fantastic move. Gets fouled, finishes, and the other, the opposing team goes crazy. They're going to lose, but they go crazy. Like, oh, wow, that wasn't that awesome. And then all of a sudden, that high school fan section of the home team, and they know they're going to win, guess what they start shouting? Scoreboard, scoreboard, scoreboard. What are they saying? Your players can go ahead and do whatever fancy moves you want to do, what's still going to be the outcome. As the seconds are dwindling down and the point differential is too great, there's no way that the other team is going to win, so the other team, the home team, gets to say what? Go ahead and do your cool little moves. Scoreboard. In the end, we're going to win. My friends, that's exactly what you have in your Savior. You and I, left to ourselves, would only fail every single test, would only be left with that Deceiver using that information against us. But what we have in the end is the final scoreboard. And the final score is already certified that Jesus is the victor. He won for us what the first Adam lost. For what the first Adam lost, even in the comfort of the garden, the second Adam, Jesus Christ, won for us in the discomfort of the desert. Through his entire life and, yes, even his obedient sacrifice on the cross, your Savior secures the final victory. The score is certified so that even in your life, you have an answer to your guilt. Even in your life, you have an answer to every type of testing and temptation. It's Jesus. And so, the book is open. And you might not always remember the chapter, the verse, the book, but you have the entire center of scripture for you. It's your savior, Jesus. And nothing in this world and not even the devil itself is any match for him. Amen.